Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that is still waiting to be vaccinated. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Axon. This week, we're talking about what we've been watching, including golf, illicit affairs and predetermined romance. We'll talk some real news. And for our main review, it's Tom Hanks in News of the World, internationally available on Netflix. Did you think that this was going to be like a a real life dramatization of how news of the world tabloid newspaper came into existence yes i did yeah same here and when i see the title i still do think that (laughs) my brain still goes there you're not alone james you're not alone any exciting developments in the world of you this week most exciting thing that's happened to us is a new corner shop opened down the street from us there used to be a mccall's there but now that unit has become a new Go Local Extra, which caused genuine, sincere excitement and made me realise how boring my life has become. Went in, bought some white chocolate chip Foxy's cookies. Well, that is something to get excited about. Don't be too hard on yourself, because I think when Aldi opened around here, it was the talk of the town for 12 months, and it didn't get built for a further 12 months, so... Everyone goes through these periods of excitement for little things. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Thank you. What's new with you? Nothing. Just nothing. Um, (laughs) The only thing that I found mildly funny in the last week, apart from some of the content that I watched, is that my partner, she's been watching Downton Abbey to fill the void left by Bridgerton since she finished it. They're not the same. I think she realised that pretty quickly. But... She's finished the whole series now, and then she went on to watch the film, which annoyingly is not available on Amazon Prime, even though the entire series is. So I found it for her, because I'm nice like that. It was on Now TV. So the other night, I set it all up for her in the bedroom. Not that and that sounds bad, doesn't it? Like, she doesn't know how to <laughs> turn on a TV. It's a weird setup. I'm not going to get into it. She texts me about 10 minutes later, and she was like, can you find another means of me watching this for free? Because I cannot cope. So I was like, why? What's going on? And it turns out that there's been a weird mess up on Sky's end and they've ported over this American version of the film, which has meant that even though it runs for two hours and four minutes, it actually runs for an hour and 57 minutes and everything is slightly sped up. So everyone talks at a different like level of octave, which just does not make sense. Everyone sounds like a chipmunk and it's just impossible to get through. Take it down. Sky have posted on a forum, yet we know this is an issue. Take it down then. Nobody wants to watch it like that. It's just bizarre. Did you know that there are some programs in America that are sped up very, very slightly so that you can fit more adverts in? No, I didn't know that, actually. doesn't surprise me. So maybe that's what's going on with that version of Downton Abbey, the movie. It's just weird. Don't let it stay sat on there with people getting the hopes up for watching Downton Abbey and... Instead, watching a period drama version of The Chipmunks, it's just not its not fair. It's not right. I still don't get this texting within the house thing, but we can get onto that another time. <laughs> Until then, what have you been watching on television? It's been a weird week of content for me, but first up, I'm going to go with something relatively new, and that is Tiger, which is a HBO documentary that's currently streaming on Now TV at normal speed. 
that's always a plus point. And it's about the rise and fall of one of golf's most noticeable figures, and that's Tiger Woods. A little birdie told me it was worth a watch. I've been putting it off for quite a while, but given the offerings that were out there, which were quite sub-par, I thought I'd give it a go. It has the distinction of being similar to The Last Dance, in a way. I had no understanding of basketball before watching that, and the same can be said of me and golf. But I did find this equally interesting. It's definitely a documentary that's about the sport, but the focus is much more on the athlete. Can you call a golfer an athlete? Yes. Okay, well, we'll go with it. And we're less likely to offend people then. Anybody who's seen the headlines in recent years knows that Tiger Woods experienced a spectacular fall from grace when details of his personal life and his indiscretions came out in the media. And it caused quite a stir because he was an icon at the same level as your your Michael Jordans of the world. Not only because of his golfing abilities, but because of what he represented to black communities. He's this figure of influence and virtue, and it just didn't sit well with people once they found out that, oh my God, he's flawed. A lot of the time within the documentary is spent understanding the family dynamics and the push that his father and his mother had to make him this star. And subsequently, that pressure obviously is going to weigh on him. He had quite a tumultuous relationship with his father, and that's explored in detail. It also minorly touches on some pretty astonishing realities of the time he came to prominence. So he was one of the first players on golf courses that black people had never been allowed to set foot on before in the 90s. Absolutely appalling. And I should say, I'm stating some of the points that are in the documentary, but I do know that there's this whole debate about whether Tiger Woods can be classed as black. He himself identified as a term he coined called Asian, which is a mix of Caucasian, black, Indian, and Asian. And the documentary covers that too. I just wanted to put that out there. I'm not labelling him wrong. Not that I think he should be labelled anyway. All in all, this is a really good character study and an examination of the time period. There's some really interesting archive footage that brings a lot of the interviews to life. You read headlines sometimes and you go, oh my gosh, this bloke is messed up. No, he's human. He's definitely made some appalling decisions. And I'm not condoning his behavior, nor does the documentary. But he's complicated. And guess what? Aren't we all? And I think as a society, sometimes we make these these snap judgments and decisions on people without understanding the context. And this documentary is very much giving you that context. It's a two-parter, nearing three hours, and it's fascinating insight into golf and the man himself. And I really enjoyed it and found it quite educational. That sounds very interesting. I'm sure it's not up there with The Last Dance as one of the greatest of all time, but it does sound very good. Yeah, it's not quite up to that standard, but still definitely worth giving a watch. What else have you been watching? I tried enticing you with this, but you didn't make your way around to watching it, so I'll review it instead. I watched Back to Life on Netflix, and what I love at the minute is Netflix is breathing new life into things that perhaps flew under the radar. A lot of people are talking about this over the last month or so, as if it's brand new. I've seen this happen with Baptiste as well, you know, the the missing spin-off. People are like, have you seen that new uh, Baptiste? On Netflix, not new, two years old. It's well worth the buzz. It's got Daisy Haggard in it, uh, or Haggard is probably the correct pronunciation of that. I called it Daisy Haggerty 
when I listed Breeders as one of my top five TV shows of 2020. So I'm rectifying that error right now. She writes and stars in this really tonally odd TV series. It's about a woman returning to her old life after being released from prison and learning that she can't escape her past no matter what she does. It's at times quite dark in nature and there's this constant shift in tone. One minute it's lighthearted and funny, other times it's quite nasty and mean-spirited, yet it's still funny. Sometimes there's more tender, touching moments between characters. It's definitely a dramedy, if you want to class it as something, but it does kind of have its own groove that feels different than a lot of things I've seen before. I'm definitely going to regret using the word groove, but never mind. Part of the joy of this series, in the beginning at least, is you not knowing what she went to prison for and unraveling all that whilst trying to gain clues about what she's done from people's reactions to her and some of the things that they say. Daisy Haggard, I've done it again, Daisy Haggard. How would you say it? H-A-G-G-A-R-D. Haggard. Daisy Haggard, Haggard in particular, is brilliant in the role. She masters being socially awkward, quirky, and yet likeable. The whole cast actually brings something different to the table with each of the roles. It's a really good supporting cast who all, you know, understand what the tone of the script is. I do think this is a shining example of British TV at its best. You can get the whole thing knocks out in an afternoon, six episodes, and that's about two and a half hours in total. All in all, it's a darkly charming exploration of trying to find your place in the world and i liked it so much that i rewatched it all with my partner the week after i'd seen it so it must be decent or i'm deluded that does sound very good what is it called again back to life on netflix a product of the bbc so back to life is a reference to her coming out of prison and going back to life no there's this whole subplot where she's been resurrected after her death and she's then reincarnates herself into the body of a small child. To find out whether that's true, you'll just have to watch it. What else have you been watching? I feel like I'm not current this week. I've been watching quite a bit of old stuff. Back to Life is old on a technicality, I would say. But I revisited the film Unfaithful from 2002. Do you remember this, James? Diane Lane and Richard Gere? That's the one. That's the one. It's from the director who was well known in the 90s for the erotic thrillers such as Indecent Proposal, Fatal Attraction, Nine and a Half Weeks, but he also directed Jacob's Ladder, so he's quite the prolific director. This was one of his later films, and although it's quite old by 2020 standards, it's relatively new for him. This came out in 2002. I was 17 then. What possessed me to go and watch this? at the cinema i've no idea did i think oh let's let's watch something a little bit highbrow which i'll be honest strikes me as the exact thing that would be going through my mind i think we used to do that quite a lot we'd go let's watch something a bit different what understanding of a functional relationship would i have at that age it's not going to ring true with me at all i just don't know why i bothered it's about the aftermath and impact of the affair that's the focal point of it The one thing it doesn't explore that I think is unforgivable is what is wrong with the relationship with Richard Gere and why she cheats. It just doesn't go into that at all. And I found that a bit odd. I wanted something with a bit more depth. Diane Lane's great in it, not to the point that she deserved the Oscar nod, perhaps, but it's she's she's perfectly fine. The relationship she has with the guy she has the affair with, there's a scene in it where there's some quite rough, violent play between them that leads to sex and that's not 
explored at all either. It's just a bit, throw it in there, why not? Ooh, this is a bit risque, isn't it? And just doesn't do anything with it. For me, it was a venture into revisiting a film from my past with, you know, a bit of world wisdom and hindsight and seeing if my thoughts had shifted. Well, guess what? They haven't. My reaction was exactly the same as the first time around, and I just thought, yeah, yeah, it's all right, that. So probably give it a miss unless you want to see Oliver Martinez and Diane Lane having lots of sex. How is that available to us? That's available for free on Amazon Prime. Excellent. And there's a link there to Tiger Woods, isn't there? Affairs. Yes, and there's an affair in Back to Life as well. So I've just been binging affair TV this week. James, I've talked enough. Let's move on to you. What has graced your eyeballs this week? I'll follow on from your relationship theme with Soulmates, currently available on Amazon Prime. This is the latest new series on Amazon Prime that seems to not be new, but it's new on Amazon Prime, so I'm going to say it's new. The IMDb rating was 5.3, but it's clawed its way up to 5.7, still way out of your criteria for watching a series, I believe, which is minimum 6.5, if I recall correctly. Correct. The idea is, what if there was a test that could tell you who your soulmate is? Someone took that idea and wrote six episodes of TV exploring it. What if you think you have a perfect relationship and you want to resist taking the test? What happens when someone lies about being a soulmate to cause drama? What happens when you try being with your soulmate and it's not perfect? I'm halfway in. I'm enjoying it. It's easy watching. It's been compared to Black Mirror, but it's not holding a mirror up to you and challenging you to think about how terrible the world is. It's a fun series of what-if scenarios with some very good acting, okay writing, but good acting that is keeping me involved. I've had to accept that my questions about how this test actually works will not be answered. And there are more interesting situations they could have done, like being matched with someone 30 years younger than you who doesn't speak the same language and who lives in a village in Borneo. Everyone in the program is reasonably attractive living the good life in a million-dollar house, and they find a fellow American soulmate who is also attractive and also lives in a nice house. It's better than things that I've ignored and watched on Netflix, so I would recommend it if you're looking for something almost new that you can stream in full on Amazon Prime. Very good. How do you know it's better than the things that you've ignored? That's impossible, right? There are things like Bridgerton that I'm so sure I won't like that are not aimed at me. You soldier on with that self-righteous attitude, James. I'm not going to have a dig into you any further. That's fine. You're right. You should have ignored them. This is better. Do you know what a lot of the criticism has been? Because like you said, 5.7, ooh, doesn't sound good. I'm just wondering what everyone's had a problem with so far. Do you know? It's not as good as Black Mirror. So I think people are coming in expecting Black Mirror and it's not as good and then dropping a low rating on it. But it's a different approach than black mirror i've got to say that sounded very appealing to me so if you're enjoying it i normally you know hold your opinions in high regard so i might just dive in and see what i think thank you for that and what i will add is that none of the episodes relate to each other it's completely separate characters dealing with this soulmate test even more intriguing okay so that's soulmates on amazon prime very good what else Can't Get You Out of My Head, the new Adam Curtis documentary 
on BBC iPlay. Have you seen Adam Curtis documentaries before, like Bitter Lake or Hypernormalization? I don't think that I have. This is his latest work, available only on iPlayer. It's a six-part documentary that tells the emotional story of how we arrived at the modern world we're in today. He highlights various 20th century figures who challenged the world around them, challenged the power structure, and in some cases started revolutions. For example, he talks about how Tupac recognised that everyone was living in a fantasy world and he wanted to direct the anger of feuding inner city gangs outwards to challenge the invisible people who hold power. It talks about politicians in the 90s like Clinton and Blair giving over power to the banks and financial services and the sense that our societies are exhausted and we know that something isn't right, but no one knows what to do about it. He talks about how we come to believe in conspiracy theories around Trump being a Russian agent and how we're being controlled by Google and advertisers collecting our data. It covers very similar ground to the social dilemma on Netflix in that area. This is already known to Adam Curtis fans, but I'll say it anyway. I love the use of archive footage and anachronistic music. He keeps showing clips of Chinese operas with synth or rock music over them. And the selection of footage and editing is genius. There is a clip of someone in a Chinese factory dropping a doll on the floor repeatedly with no explanation and no direct link to what is being said but it makes total sense in the context of the documentary. There is footage from the 1970s about a trans woman transitioning and it's presented almost without any link to everything else that is going on, but it fits completely with the idea of people challenging the world and the power around them. I felt clever while I was watching it, but I'm not sure yet what it is that I've learned from it because it covers so much ground. It's so dense. There's so much going on. This is a must-watch for anyone currently living in the world today. That's Can't Get You Out of My Head on BBC iPlayer. That sounds very interesting. I will definitely be giving that a go, given that I am somebody who lives in the world and it therefore seems to be a prerequisite for me to go on with daily life. So I'll, I'll explore that, thanking you. And it's currently listed in the popular section on BBC iPlayer, so it's not an obscure work it's quite a popular thing from a well-known filmmaker would you say that you have to be in the right frame of mind to watch this documentary because it does sound as though it's you know it's not one of those laid back just sit down and you can absorb it you don't really have to think i would imagine you have to concentrate on this to fully take it in yes that's right you have to be fully awake engaged with no distractions and i'd highly recommend that you watch each episode in full each episode is just over an hour the last episode is two hours and there's so much going on that you have to follow the stream of thought in one go otherwise you'll get lost thank you very much for the info brilliant shall we discuss some more than likely fictional real news Yes. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. Perhaps I mentioned this actor too much. John Boyega has caught my attention. The official Star Wars Twitter posted a painting of John Boyega's character as part of Black History Month in America. And 
you should check out the responses to the tweet because Star Wars and Disney are getting absolutely hammered in the replies and it's very, very entertaining. Like people pointing out that in the Chinese poster for The Force Awakens, John Boyega was hidden and people complaining that Finn and Rey should have been in a relationship but Disney were too afraid. People saying, why did you abandon his character? You sidelined him. People quoting John Boyega's own interviews where he's complained about how the character wasn't built up enough. It's funny to see Star Wars try to do something simple, something positive, and then people put out gifts of angry Terry Crews saying it's too late for all of that. Very funny. I will check that out. What a thinly veiled marketing ploy to right the wrongs of the past. And Poor judgment, Disney. Tried and failed. At least he tried, though. God loves a tryer. Twitter doesn't. Speaking of trying, DC, One Brothers, HBO Max, they're trying to revive Justice League. Have you seen the new trailer that's come out for the new Justice League, the Zack Snyder cut, Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max? No, I've heard about it. I, well, one, I don't watch trailers, do I? And two, I really couldn't give a toss. I'm interested, though, in what you have to say about it. I don't believe the hype either. You can't polish a turd. I don't see how this film can be so drastically different. Having Gerard Leto's Joker in for what is obviously one scene isn't going to change it. I just wanted to draw your attention to this really over-the-top paragraph in an article in The Hollywood Reporter, which completely overstates how important this film is, and here's the quote. For as much criticism as Snyder has gotten for the perception of his films being dark and gritty, it has felt to me since Man of Steel that the director was building to something honest and hopeful. If Man of Steel and BVS were 9-11 and post-9-11 metaphors respectively, concerned with American xenophobia and right-wing solutions, then, as evidenced by this latest trailer, Justice League is exploring our contemporary situation. How do we answer for the mistakes and inadequacies of the past, while preventing the future from fulfilling all of our worst nightmares? This is where we are, socially and politically, but this is also where the superheroes appear to be in this film. Wow, I bet Zack Snyder is absolutely loving that someone's completely got the wrong end of the stick there and has read into it a bit too much. That just seems ridiculous. I know we do a film podcast where we try to talk about films for as long as possible to drag out the runtime of the episode, but that seems like too much for a Justice League film that is about Batman and Superman. Yeah, I'm going to not pay much attention to that. That's ridiculous. Speaking of ridiculous, hear me out. Word not ones to give credence to unverified online rumours. We're not, but the last time we did is when you, James, hinted that Michael Keaton would be reprising his role as Batman. Based on a 4chan post, I tore you apart, but... You had the last laugh. It turned out to be true. So indulge me as I put forward the unsubstantiated news that Army Hammer is potentially a serial killer. Just bear with me. <laughs> this is probably nonsense, but if it's not, you heard it here first. Juicy, some of you say. What a load of tosh, others may proclaim. You're both right. First off, before I dive in, have you heard anything about this whole Army Hammer scandal over the past few weeks? Seen something about one screenshot of some text messages that are out of context. That's all I've half seen. Okay, okay. 
So I'll fill you in on this nonsense. So Army Hammer, of course, an actor known for Man From Uncle, The Social Network, where he played the twins and numerous other films. Is he in Mission Impossible or is it Henry Cavill? It's Henry Cavill. That's the pronunciation. Thank you. So as you mentioned, in January, screenshots were posted on Instagram alleged to be conversations between Army Hammer and a number of women revealing a darker side to the actor. He talks about cannibalistic instincts, fetishes about drinking people's blood, holding them prisoners till they die. And since then, loads of people have come out of the woodwork, as they do, to back up these claims that he's got a very dark kink fetish. He's asked people, allegedly, and I keep saying that, to have their ribs removed so that he can eat them. He's carved the letter A into someone's flesh. The list goes on. But the latest development, which I find the most fascinating, is that during the pandemic, because his acting work's dried up because everything's delayed and they're just not filming anything, he volunteered at a construction site since October. And since then, there's been three women's remains that have been found on the site. Coincidence? Yeah, probably. The sheriff's office in the area has come out and said, listen, his name hasn't come up as a suspect and we have no plans to investigate him. So they've already quashed it. And to be fair, another thing in his favour, if he's a cannibal, why are they finding remains? Wasteful. One thing I did think about the sheriff's response, probably worth asking him a few questions in light of recent media output. Get an autograph while you're at it. But they're not interested. Anyway, I'm going to reiterate again, none of this has been proven to be fact. All I'm saying is if this does end up being true, what an unbelievably salacious story this is. This is a film waiting to be made. And there is apparently an expose in the works at the minute, and I am just on 10 talks waiting for it. I cannot wait. James, any response? To be fair, my unsubstantiated 4chan news was just about someone possibly being in a Batman film not career-ending allegations with no evidence. Yeah, it's still interesting to speculate, though, isn't it? It is. Sounds like a good Netflix documentary. It does. It'll be Don't Mess With... The Hammer. ...construction work. The ha- yeah, yeah, that's better. Don't Mess With The Hammer. Good. She's working marketing you. That's all I've got. Thank you very much. Okay. Doing real news, then this week's main review film is the setup for a perfect segue, but we always say the film title after the jingle, so we can't do it. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Let me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is... News of the world. She's got family down in Castroville. Captain, why are you doing this? She needs to laugh and dream. She needs new memories. Captain, you, Johanna. I do not have a clue as to the care of a child. It's a photograph. That's my wife. With America in ruins, an aging veteran carries a young female hope for the future across a landscape full of hatred, violence, and the trauma of past division. Starring Tom Hanks as Joe Biden and Helena Zengel as Kamala Harris, Fake News of the World is an attempt 
to simplify and make sense of a chaotic world where a man's beard and hair colour do not match and it was very distracting and it affected my enjoyment of the film. Hope that's not the only basis for you not recommending it, if that's the way that you go. IMDb says that it's about a Civil War veteran agreeing to deliver a girl taken by the Kiowa people years ago to her aunt and uncle against her will. They travel hundreds of miles and face grave dangers as they search for a place that either can call home. Daniel, what did you think of News of the World? Going into it, I was quite interested. Tom Hanks and Paul Greengrass joining forces again. They worked together previously on Captain Phillips, which I very much enjoyed. Paul Greengrass is better known for the Bourne sequels and his fluid camera work and quick editing. This is a lot more reserved and stripped back for him. It treads the familiar plot of two strangers from different backgrounds being thrust together and learning to understand one another and themselves along the way. But at its core, it's a really basic story about someone getting from place A to place B with various things thrown in the way to prevent the film being 20 minutes long. It's like a Western version of Extraction. Joking aside, it's a story you've probably seen told countless times, but they do inject scenes of genuine suspense and action to break up this sort of formulate plot. But mostly it's a very self-contained story that puts the onus on the central two performances to carry it. And the performances themselves are pretty good. The girl who plays Johanna, Helena Zengal, she's very good. She screams her way through the first third of the film, which I thought was going to get very annoying very quickly. But then she settles down a bit and you understand more about her character. And she completely holds her own with Tom Hanks. And given the whole language barrier, she's got the less envious task of conveying everything through facial expressions and making you care about her. And I think she does that. She does understand some things like stay down, which is convenient during a gunfight. But she's she's really good. Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. He's solid, but I don't feel like there's a lot here that requires him to flex his acting muscles too much. There's a lot of, you know, near the beginning, he's delivering a lot of the exposition by pointlessly talking at her, even though she cannot understand him in the slightest, but it doesn't feel staged or forced. It does feel quite natural. And that's because it's Tom Hanks. He can pretty much sell anything he's given dialogue-wise. So, you know, I've said there's not much to his acting, but he's always reliable. I've got to say, I don't gravitate towards period films of any type, and especially not anything set in this time period in particular. They're just not my thing. I would normally purposely avoid this film just because of its setting. I just don't find it visually interesting to look at, and I know that's on me. The story, though, given that it is quite by the numbers, it was compelling enough to keep me sufficiently entertained. Mild praise aside, if you've read the synopsis and seen the film poster, this is exactly the sort of film that you would expect it to be. The way it looks, the way it sounds and feels, it's bang on what I envisaged, beat for beat. The narrative leads to a really predictable resolution that I found pretty unsatisfying, if I'm honest. I'm tainted by my predisposition for not liking films of this sort. It's definitely not a bad film, but it's not a great one either, and I think I can say that confidently, despite my prejudice. James, what did you think of News of the World? If you don't like period films, then you shouldn't watch I May Destroy You. I'll state right away, I'm very fond of westerns and films that look and sound like this, so the opposite of you. Dusty outfits, horses and wagons, the open plains, I could watch hours and hours of it, and in a way... 
I have by playing Red Dead Redemption 2 way, way more than I should. That's on the table, possibly, mm. as a disclaimer. I liked the simplicity of the story, a story so simple that I don't really know what to say about it. After they set up, they ride on a bit, there's some drama, ride on a bit more, some drama, ride on a bit more. By the end, I was saying, oh, what's going to happen now? Oh, it's a storm. It was slow. Even the action was slow, possibly because of the rate of fire and reload time of the weapons, but it wasn't boring or baggy for me. It reminded me of two films, The Midnight Sky that we've recently reviewed, which is also a simple escort mission that goes wrong, and one of our favourites, Road to Perdition, which is also paternal Tom Hanks escorting a child across America and learning a bit about himself and America along the way. As I've said, I'm a fan of sweeping shots of the Wild West and faithfully recreated frontier towns. This is not a cheap, rushed Netflix film. This is a real film that Netflix acquired the international rights for. They visit big towns full of people and cattle. I don't know why, but I was impressed by the sight of a real herd of cattle in this film. That indicated that an effort was being made. Whether it's day or night, this film looked very good. Tom Hanks carries it. He's a comforting presence to watch. I agree with what you've said. He doesn't stretch himself that much. He's not too worn down. He's not a broken man. And if you had Joaquin Phoenix or Christian Bale in the role, the whole film, I think, would be very different. It wouldn't have the warmth that it does. And I think it would be a more introspective story. Helena Zengel, as you've said, hardly speaks, but does get her character across. That could have gone very badly if she wasn't as skilled as she is. Despite the grim setting and some quite unpleasant characters, I think overall it's a positive film with a heart. And again, I wish I could have seen it on the big screen without Netflix Presents, a universal pictures presentation at the start. Very well argued. I'm saying that, we're not, we're not arguing yet. I find it hard to pick a fault with anything that you said. I think I mostly do agree with a lot of your points. I just feel like, and we've both said it, why did they need to make this? There's about 50 different versions of this exact same story. That was my main problem with it, and it just didn't feel unique enough to me. I can't argue with the competency of it. I just questioned the necessity to make it, I suppose. Just didn't feel like it was bringing anything new. Right. Another film that it's a lot like is The Road with Viggo Mortensen based on the Cormac McCarthy novel that is more interesting than this. I think you are onto something. And I was surprised to see the audience rating so high because I could easily imagine someone not liking this because it is a bleak Western that's very slow paced. It's not a cool Western. I did follow in watching this read a few reviews not because i was like why is it so high i can understand why some people might like it but i heard quite a number of people saying about the pacing of it and that it's slow and for all my dislikes of the film i can't say i did find it slow i thought it went along at a relatively good pace and i was entertained enough it was just the surroundings which made it problematic for me because i just don't enjoy it uh, I don't like being in this world. That was my issue with it. I can't say I noticed anything wrong with the person. I know you're not saying there's a problem with it either. I just mean people identified that it's slow and I didn't feel that. It was a leisurely pace, but it was literally always moving. They're either moving to the next place or something's happening where they are. So it was never boring. 
for me. Should we lock horns and decide whether we would recommend this? Yes. What about you, James? I would recommend News of the World. It's my kind of film. And as you've said, it's very easy to determine whether it is your kind of film from the poster alone, because that tells you a lot about what it is. Daniel, would you recommend News of the World? I do feel very conflicted with this one because I can't deny the fact that it's a well-made film. I wasn't bored with it. I was just offended by the scenery around me (laughs) or that I had to watch. I'd say, yes, I do recommend it. But if you've seen any of the other similar films that we've mentioned that follow the same kind of plot, you probably don't need to watch this. You've seen it before. So, yes, with reservations. Yes, but watch Road to Perdition first. No, if you're going to do that, watch Road to Perdition. Don't bother with this. (laughs) James, shall we spoil the unspoilable because it's so predictable? Yes. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. It's not news what happens in this predictable film. As Tom Hanks and his surrogate daughter travel across America, they bond. He begins to see her as his own daughter. He dumps her with the aunt and uncle at the end of the film, finds out that his wife is dead, which I want to ask you about, has a change of heart, realises he wants to adopt this young German girl, and then they tour the nation together, giving more entertaining renditions of the news as a double act. Do you think that's a fair summary? I think that is... Very clear and accurate with two minor disagreements. One, I thought he already knew his wife was dead. And two, he doesn't adopt her. He just boldly kidnaps her. And it's just coincidental that the family do not care. Take her. He kidnaps her. That's true, yeah. There's no legal custody that's being exchanged. They're just like, we don't want this dog on this leash anymore. Take it with you. That's a reference to how they treat her in the film. I'm not calling her a dog, just to be clear. But yeah, no, I think that was more or less bang on. Do you want to dive into this, his wife's dead bit? Maybe I just missed little bits of information. He talks about his wife as though she's still alive, I thought. Then when he goes home at the end, I thought he was being told of his wife's death. Is that not what was happening? It was a, oh, she died years ago, sorry. Yeah, it was a, she's died years ago, and this is the first that we've seen you since that happened because you've been away for all this time i took it that he'd just not felt the need to come back because he already knew that there was nothing awaiting him at home i might be wrong to be honest because i might have missed something but like i said i thought there was another reference earlier on that i may have made up where he tells somebody when he's talking about his wife that she's already passed away but again i could just be making stuff up for the sake of making it more interesting I think yours sounds better because of the quite understated reaction of Tom Hanks in those final scenes when he's talking about his dead wife. Could be a Christopher Nolan film with a dead wife. Might be a bit more unconventional if he had his hands on it as well, which I'd welcome. The other reason why I took it that his wife died and he knew about it was halfway through I was taking it to be this story of them dealing with the loss and the grief and being completely oblivious as to where they were headed in life. They just didn't know what to do. They were lost souls who'd lost the family and that sort of parallel between them is what brings them further together. So that was another reason why I thought, yes, he knows she's dead. I see. That makes sense. 
as someone that didn't recommend the film or didn't have as positive a reaction, what did you think of the structure that I described in a lighthearted way, which is a bit of riding, conflict, bit of riding, conflict, ride off again. Again, even though I was enjoying it, I could see someone seeing that as repetitive and eye-rolling that they just kept stumbling across pesky, sweaty people. No, I can't even say that's one of my complaints about the film. I, I didn't mind the structure of it. I thought it worked quite well and told an interesting enough story. I don't want to keep going on about the same thing, so I shan't other than it's this Western setting I don't gel with. I don't like seeing it. The plot structure was fine. Okay. So you've mentioned it to a degree, these incidents that occur that put them in danger along the journey from delivering her from point A to point B. That gives Greengrass a chance to show his his action roots again with some of the scenes that play out, specifically the first one. There's this gunfight with some rather nasty people who are trying to basically acquire the girl for nefarious means, would you say? Yes, I would. They want her to be a prostitute. And what I did like about this, given my dark nature, is the cold-blooded murder of these three men is what pivots this turning point in their relationship. Murder brings them together because she finally realises he's a kind man with her best interests at heart. And I liked that. I thought that was quite nice. What did you think of that, how that whole bit played out? I also enjoyed the cold-blooded murder. Possible nitpick. That's a one-on-three situation. Those three guys don't attempt to flank him in any way. That could be because of the terrain. Tom Hanks does have the high ground, which Star Wars prequel fans will know is the key to victory, but there's no flanking manoeuvre attempted. It was the Wild West, and maybe I've you'll know better because you've seen more Westerns, but maybe flanking just wasn't something you did at the time. I don't know. No, it definitely was, wasn't it? What a stupid thing to say. It was. I'm quite, yeah, I'm quite sure that flanking manoeuvres existed. Common sense, if anything. That aside, we'll forgive it that, because it still worked for me, the scene. And I really liked that little thing between them where he realises that he's out of shotgun shells and he's only got these... Are they blanks? It's birdshot that will only kill birds, but not people. That's the one. And she, despite the fact that they have this huge language barrier between them, she's like, come on, Tom, use your noggin... For American listeners, that's brain. Even for UK listeners, they might not know what I'm saying. Put some coins in these shells and let's blast these morphos. And they do it and it works out. And, you know, he learns from her. And I liked that little play on it as well. It's not just him teaching her. The same is reciprocated. I quite like that dynamic between them that you get a few times throughout. I really like that bit as well. Developing the relationship, using objects and using the technology of the time to tell the story. Can I tell you something that really pissed me off? Yes. Yes, you can. So when he delivers the package, that's her, to her family, I was half expecting for a moment, oh, they're going to have this emotional Ross and Rachel at the airport scene where one of them runs after the other. And then I put in my notes, oh, I'm so glad they didn't do that. Well, they do. And it really, really wound me up. When he left her, I thought, all right, it's not got that emotional impact and that would have been quite nice to see, but, oh, they're doing something a bit different here and it's going to explore something else. But it did end up being exactly that and that was another reason why I say it's so predictable is they made me think that they're trying to think outside the box, but they don't. 
they just resort back to formulaic plot threads of this type. So what did you think about all that? I agree that it was predictable. Borderline felt unjustified for him to take her on as his daughter. But I was so involved with the film. I was enjoying watching Tom Hanks in a Western so much that I accepted it. And I was happy with a more upbeat ending. Surprisingly upbeat, I would say. I mean, I didn't want something that was just inherently morbid and left me thinking, oh God, I feel a bit depressed. I didn't want that, but it didn't feel authentic. It was just all a bit too good to be true. I thought, this is too nice and nice of this. And I have actually possibly subconsciously nicked other opinions there because I've read reviews saying similar and it just so happens that I agree. I think it is a bit too rose-tinted glasses, this. And he seems to use fast travel at the end there, just like in Red Dead Redemption 2, where once you're getting towards the end, you use fast travel more because you've seen all the scenery. (laughs) It's all about the effort that is required to cross these distances. So he leaves the girl at her home. He travels back to his hometown. And then he fast travels back to get her. Yeah. They've took some liberties there, but I am going to give them the benefit of the doubt that he doesn't start in his hometown, does he? So maybe it's just conveniently that his hometown was closer to his end destination than where he was at the start. Why am I fighting for this film? Shut up. (laughs) Can I say another contradictory thing, given how much I've said I don't like it? Yes, you can. I really liked... (laughs) I really liked the bit where once he's dropped her off with her auntie and uncle, he starts going into this whole speech about how she's got these painful memories and she needs new ones. And in order to do that, don't pay me, buy her some books, let her live out her imagination. And I really like the fact that the uncle says to him, there's no time for stories. And you get this look where Tom Hanks, he's this just contemplative look where you think he's realized how pointless his whole existence is because all he does is travel from state to state telling stories i really liked that moment i don't know if you noticed it or not i did notice that it's this complete clash of values between the two men and linking in with that and i haven't fully formulated this thought so i'll just put it out there raw in native american culture there is an oral tradition of passing stories through the generations. And I assume that is something that the girl in this experienced in her upbringing with the Native Americans and that she will have heard stories from her elders. And now she's been adopted by an American man who is also in the business of orally telling stories to people. And maybe there is something there. I don't know. Like I say, I'm putting it out there raw, but it was highlighted a little bit to me by that dialogue exchange you've just talked about with that useless, awful uncle man saying no one needs stories, when obviously we do need stories and the oral tradition and the passing of tales between people is a valuable thing. Yeah. Uncle Nobed. (laughs) Can I ask you something that's really not that important? I just want to know what you think. Were you questioning what his occupation was for at least half of it? Thinking, you're a veteran, but you're going around reading newspapers to townsfolk. Like, is that because everybody is illiterate? Or what, is there a shortage of trees and therefore paper? I didn't get it. How is that a job? Which does get answered later on, yeah. But 
knowing the name of the film coming in, I forgot about it for the next two hours. And it was only in the last line of the film where Tom Hanks says, that is all the news of the world we have for you. Good night. I thought that's why it's called news of the world, because that's what he's been doing for the entire film. Did not register. Am I on my own? Just what? So how is it explained then? How what, is what his job, job is? No, how? why his job needs to exist. Oh, no, it isn't explained, but it was more the revelation that I'd forgotten what the title of the film was. And only at the end did I go, oh, because that's what he's been doing. He's been going around telling people the news of the world. Ah, makes sense. Just didn't click with me. I was also questioning why his job needs to exist. Because as I understand it from playing Red Dead Redemption 2, newspapers were distributed and there were railways at this time. I think I just don't appreciate how disconnected the towns were. I was thinking the same thing as you. Why do we need this man to bring papers as though he's the only source, but maybe the towns are more disconnected at that time in 1870 than we appreciate, and he was Mm. necessary for that. And I do assume that there was a literacy problem as well. Yeah. Or what has happened is that the author, because it's based on a book, isn't it? She did a first draft of this, called it News of the World, handed it into a publisher. She was like, really good, enjoyed it. Seen it all before, like, but yeah, no, uh, some nice bits in it. Why is it called News of the World? Go back and rewrite it. And then she just shoves his occupation as that. Do you think that happened? I, that's definitely what happened. There you go. We give you the background information that they don't publish online that is definitely 100% fact mirroring tabloids like news of the world it's all come full circle james hasn't it it has we've gone from real news to fake news and back to real news all in a day's work yes let's leave it there let's saddle up then and be on our way but before we do what are we reviewing next week we're reviewing barb and star go to vista del mar say what now barb and star go to vista del mar So much clearer the second time round. It's a comedy that promises to be quite a treat. Perhaps find out next week. Please do get in touch with us. You can do so and leave us feedback or suggestions at intheislespodcast.gmail.com. If you want to reach us on the socials, you can follow us on Instagram at intheislespodcast. Like our Facebook page, rate our podcast five stars. We're not asking a lot. Do it now. Thanks. Thanks.